Is Microsoft the single decision stock of our time? Or have I just lost my mind on all the AI hype and this podcast is indicative of the top in the cycle? Maybe both are true. Welcome to Tomorrow's News, the podcast that cuts through the noise on venture capital and alternative investing. I'm Lucy Du, and I'm here to guide you through the exciting and ever-changing world of investing with my co-host, Gavin Ezekowitz, the co-founder of BFA Global Investors. Together, we bring you our take on the hottest discussions in growth investing and global markets, from Silicon Valley startups to the burgeoning markets in Asia and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, join us as we dive deep into the world of alternative investing. Any information in this podcast is not intended to promote or recommend any particular product or services offered by Bell's family and associates. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any investor. Before making an investment decision, investors should seek professional advice. Good afternoon, Lucy. Great to be with you again. Today, I'm going to talk about something we don't often talk about, which is an individual company. In this case, the company is a very large one. It's Microsoft. And My thesis here is one stock to rule them all. Basically, is Microsoft the single decision stock of our time? Or have I just lost my mind on all the AI hype and this podcast is indicative of the top in the cycle? Maybe both are true. Before I talk about a single stock, I just want to be clear to people, this is not financial advice. I'm not recommending you purchase Microsoft shares or do anything else. The views are my own, and as always, you should do your own research. Why are you going to talk about Microsoft? Microsoft is up about 40% since the beginning of the year, which is pretty amazing given that the S&P is up around 8%. And for those of you who are not familiar, this is a $2.2 trillion market cap company. Australia's GDP is about $1.7 trillion. So this is a monster, a big, big business. And it's had a heck of a move. So today we're going to talk a little bit about generative AI, which in large part has been driving Microsoft, why it might continue to drive Microsoft, and what to think about as you contemplate that trend and that thematic, and then how those themes might even change markets. Excellent. It's definitely the hottest topic in town, I'm sure. If anyone goes on Twitter at any point in the day, there's about a thousand or more tweets about AI and chat GPT. You talk about the big increase in price. It wasn't like that probably six months ago. What happened in January? Well, what happened in January happened in November when chat GPT launched and within a couple of months had 100 million users. But in January, Microsoft formally announced that they were investing $10 billion into OpenAI, which is the company behind ChatGPT. I think it just clued everybody into something big happening. Now, I think it's important to recognize that Microsoft had been hanging around OpenAI for a while. They invested a billion dollars in OpenAI back in 2019 when none of us were really talking about AI at all. So this was not out of nowhere, but it certainly lit the market up starting in January. We've seen a tremendous run and, of course, seen a tremendous quarterly report from Microsoft as well to back that up. 
When I saw the announcement, the first thing I thought of was big, right? I thought, oh, ChatGPT is just going to replace search, right? Mm. Unless you're like, I don't know, really old or really weird, you probably don't use Bing. Like Bing is about 10% of global search. Google has about 85%. All these years, no one uses Edge, no one uses Bing. And now suddenly they've got an incredible generative AI, large language model that they can interact with Bing. And we went, oh my goodness, this is going to be amazing. And one of the things that the company has said is that they think they get about $2 billion of revenue for every point of market share that Bing can gain in search and advertising. Through the use of Bing, which if you use your Microsoft Edge browser with Bing, you have this little sidebar that gives you a lot of chat GPT-like utility while you're browsing. Currently, large language models like chat GPT are not up to the minute. They have a cutoff in late 2021 in terms of what they know. So they can't say, tell you last night's basketball score or anything like that, right? They will get there, but they can't do that right now. Search, of course, does that. They can summarize this book or, I don't know, what's the history of the Kentucky Derby or mm. something like that, right? Mm. That's quite easy for them mm. to do. So search is a massive global business, right? And it's yeah. a business that Microsoft has largely not been dominant in. So the first thing I thought about was search. And of course, if they can get an extra $10 billion of revenue, they've got about $210 billion of revenue. That's a nice bit of growth, pretty high margin. Everybody could get pretty excited about that for sure. Maybe before we go into the nitty gritties, maybe we could just take a step back and have you share a bit of a high level summary of the concept of generative AI and really the use cases at the moment. If you want a definition of generative AI, go to ChatGPT. It'll give you a great one. But I'm going to give you one now. So ChatGPT and Dolly, which is spelled D-A-L-L-E, mid-journey, they're all generative AI. And so what generative AI does is it takes a text input and it generates a human-like response based on a huge repository of data. Okay. Now, generative AI or GAI generates new stuff from the stuff it's trained on. So it's effectively creating new content, not just summarizing content or observing content or observing patterns. This is very different to what most AI has done previously. AI would just look at a set of things and say, these things look like those things and that and we're going to put them on the same in the same set. Mm. So... One of the things that people find funny is that ChatGPT can't give you a source. It can make up what a source might look like for the information it's giving you, but it's not reading the newspaper to you. Mm. It's giving you a version of everything it knows in a new piece of content. There are ways that folks are using large language models with sourcing, And that is an interesting space, but it's really important to think about a large language model as having read every book in the library. Mm -hmm. So when I say to it, write me the opening sentence of a romance novel, it actually writes something like, 
Dear reader, I cannot help but recount the tale of my heart's greatest passion. It is a love story so pure and all-consuming that it has left an indelible mark on my soul. Chad GPT wrote that. It's actually pretty good, I think. I know new content. That's totally new content, right? That is fresh content. Now, I don't know how many times people probably ask the same thing, and maybe they all get the same answer. They get a different answer. We don't know. But at the end of the day, this is new content drawn from millions of books that it's read that says, this looks like the first two sentences of a famous romantic novel, which is really an interesting new way that we are beginning to generate images and written work and even code. Because basically what this search is, which is very different to a Google search, right? It's generating new answers and new results for you. Right. And so if you think about human interaction, one of the things that's neat about human interaction is that if I ask you for a fact, what time does the bus leave from here? I want a single number. But if I ask you something like, hey, do you think this room would look better painted like this or looking like that? You're going to take all of the information you have about rooms that look like that, that have had paint, that have windows over here, and say, oh, I think you'd need a darker color in here, given the way the light is. You are effectively generating a new concept. No one's ever tried to paint that room before. You're generating a new concept from your body of knowledge. Now imagine that you'd seen every room ever painted, any color, in every scenario, in every light characteristic, and you might say, well, what's the best color? It's probably going to be different than the one that you as an individual give me because you're not just searching for things that are alike. You're actually taking that massive knowledge and coming and placing it against a new fact set. And so what you might say to the generative AI is, well, that looks terrible, right? In the same way I might say to you, oh, oh, that's far too dark or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. The very interesting point is that there is a great deal of similarity. It's what scares people. There's a great deal of similarity between how humans behave in integrating information and how AI can behave. Mm. So think of it this way. When you learn something or I learn something, it's trapped inside us. Mm -hmm. We work in the same organization. We might share it. Now it's trapped in our organization and may still be trapped between the two of us. But when an AI model learns something, every AI model learns it, and every person inquiring into the AI model has the benefit of that information. Very different structure. Absolutely. And sitting, of course, behind all the AI structures and the models, developers, there are humans involved. (laughs) Absolutely. I think a large part of what people forget is that the really neat thing about these tools is they are tools is that they can help us be incredibly productive. And one of the areas that I get the most excited about is business within Microsoft called GitHub, Mm. about a billion-dollar ARR business. And that business launched something called Copilot, which effectively takes a business that has a rich repository of code and allows a developer to effectively have the code in packages alongside them or go back and find errors really quickly, find where the error is, because it's seen all of the possible code 
within the wow. context. And it can say, oh, I see what you're trying to do. Here's where the error may be. Here's what the correction is. Or if you're trying to do this, here's the next five things. I'll write it for you. So interestingly, when GitHub, which is part of Microsoft, of course, when GitHub launched this product in June of 2022, they had about 400,000 developers immediately. And I'm actually aware of at least one company that's in the broadly in the AI space who is finding tens of hours per week per developer of time saving on code generation and error checking already today when we're in the infancy of the space. Yes, that's incredible. And one of the things when I was looking at the earnings reports from the most recent quarter was the growth in cloud, right? Azure and Microsoft's cloud computing. How is that connected with all their investments and outlook on AI? Yeah. So of course, like all of these things, all of this generation of new ideas and churning of data takes a huge amount of computing power and a huge amount of database volume. And to the extent that corporations, I think OpenAI now has 2,500 corporate relationships already, you are going to have a lot of people doing a lot of calculations and needing an awful lot more capacity. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a great benefit, of course, for Microsoft as a partner to AI companies like OpenAI because they have the infrastructure to offer them to allow them to go and test and refine their models. Because one of the issues that has come up already is you simply can't integrate unmitigated large language models into a free service, it's just far too expensive. Every search would cost them, I think I heard the number quoted of seven cents. I mean, it would just be astronomical, put everybody out of business. So you're going to have to figure out how do you throttle back some elements of these models? How do you get people to pay for them? We're still figuring that out. But at the end of the day, there is no question to the extent that businesses are going to want to avail themselves of the benefits Mm. They are going to need a lot more capacity in the cloud computing and database arenas where Microsoft is a leader. That makes sense. And for the everyday folk like you and I running a business and using some of those tools, what are the changes that you're seeing? I've noticed a bunch of different AI pop-ups already on Teams. I think they introduced something on Microsoft 365 as well to help improve content, improve copy. Are they making our lives more efficient, more productive? Probably make us less efficient and then more efficient if history is any guide. So nothing is going to make LinkedIn any better. I think it's still cringe. I think AI possibly will make it worse. I don't know. Teams is interesting. I like the idea of having meeting summaries for a meeting, maybe even a summary that says you all just wasted an hour and didn't decide anything, do better next time. Auto email responses for people in sale, or even being able to write those responses based on a kind of FAQ type inquiry, super, super interesting mm. productivity enhancers. And then I think the ability for companies to quickly use a walled garden type approach, which is to keep the information within their company, but to allow 
different people in the company to query all kinds of information to see if there are things that have been tried that didn't work or to understand who might have worked on. Has anyone in the business ever launched a product like this, even if it was unsuccessful? This kind of Frapped IP, which often takes a lot of human relationships, we can bubble some of that up using LLM. And I think that'll be more intuitive for more of the staff over time is my guess in terms of how companies run. Interesting. And this conversation did start with you saying Microsoft perhaps was the one stock to rule them all. I can think of a couple of other companies who (laughs) might be pretty strong contenders. Google's probably one that I can think of off the top of my head. How are you looking at Microsoft as it compares to some of the other potential competitors and market leaders? I certainly am not going to do a compare and contrast to Apple. People are very excited about their savings account product. To Google, who's a fast follower now on AI, they're going to have a response. NVIDIA, people love them for the chips. They believe they're going to have a a chip uh, benefit. There are certainly lots of plays, but why do I think about Microsoft? For one thing, it is interesting. This is a company trades around 28 times this year's earnings, around 26 times next year's earnings. Now, that's it's a lot. Yeah, it's at the high end for sure. But if we contemplate that this is a bit of an iPhone moment, perhaps there is a real sea change in valuation. And we may not have been aggressive enough on earnings for this year. So at a 30 times earning multiple for this year with slightly higher earnings, you get the stock closer to $400. It's in the middle of a 300 now. That's a pretty healthy return. Mm. And of course, one of the benefits in this space is the bigger and more powerful people get, the more dominant they are. We've seen that with Apple, with the iPhone as an example. I see the potential that they've captured the zeitgeist, they've captured the right partner, they've got the asset suite, productivity is a focus. And I think this is fundamentally a good company, right? People laugh at me thinking a good idea trades at 30 times earnings. But this is a company that's $58 billion in free cash flow, right? Against $210 billion in revenue. This is not a company that struggles to make money. And one of the things I like about them is because they're buying back stock, you actually have fewer shares outstanding now than you did in 2018. It's all working for you. Now, what goes wrong? Number one is... I do this podcast, and that's the indicator, right? The indicator that this thematic is done. The other thing that goes wrong, we've got debt ceiling, nuclear war, all kinds of things. I think what might go wrong here is that growth may be a little slower to eventuate Mm. and to show up in earnings than I am, and most of the market now is forecasting. And it'll disappoint investors and the stock will decline because we are somewhat priced for perfection here. Now, there are lots of technical reasons why I think that you're buffered from a lot of forces here, particularly given that they've got a pretty strong moat. But you are going to see a response from Google. You are going to see new products. There is going to be innovation. The space is not done yet innovating. The other thing is you got to be honest about the company, right? 
these guys are not perfect. They've made LinkedIn just an abomination. Teams lost share to Zoom. How did that happen? Somebody must lose their job for that, right? Google Sheets beat out Excel. Their gaming strategy has been all over the place. They haven't been perfect at execution. So they're sort of priced for perfection. They've put the play in place. We're paying for it. I think it makes sense. As I reflect on it, I think it makes sense to make the bet today. But again, it's not financial advice. I think that weighing everything, my sense is that these mega caps tech stocks and Microsoft in particular are set to perform well in balance of the year. Mm. Excellent. It's always great to chat with you, Gavin. I haven't asked you this in a little while, but if you do have some recommendations on Twitter in terms of who we should be keeping an eye on, whether it's on Microsoft or more general in the AI space. So the guy I love in this, by the way, there's a guy, I don't know anything about him. His name's Rowan Chung. I'm going to mispronounce it. I apologize. He made a name for himself. He's got 230,000 followers now. Uh, He is so good on having all of these really cool little AI either startups that have neat tools that you should look at or different hacks or neat stuff people are doing on mid-journey. There is a lot going on. And so a lot of it is just for interest. But I think he's definitely worth a follow. And I do enjoy his stuff. Excellent. We'll definitely include that in the show notes. And thank you again for wonderful conversation. And we'll see you next week. Absolute pleasure. Talk to you soon. Don't forget... You can subscribe to Tomorrow's News on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.